0: For me, brand purpose means that the, use, the usage of your product delivers disproportionate and out, outsized benefit to the customer and, and beyond. But first, it has to start with this, that disproportional uh, benefit to the customer. I'm Eric Fulweiler and this is Scratch,
1: bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey everyone, my guest today, John Sheldon, CMO of Smile Direct Club. So, had a lot of different guests on this show. I think Smile Direct Club and John, you know, probably fit the mold of challenger brands, challenger CMO, you know, to a T. They are not only a challenger within their category, To Invisalign which is kind of the Goliath and obviously they're more than a David now they're they're publicly traded in Smile Direct Club but challenging them and it was interesting hearing John talk about how to kind of make it a two-horse race how as a challenger you need to have an enemy you need someone to push off of but also they're challenging the incumbent solutions within their category which is braces. Um, So really interesting conversation, just kind of getting into the mindset and getting into the strategy and the team of a true challenger marketer. What I loved and really related to, and I've talked about this in a lot of interviews, but it really comes through in what John says explicitly and then also implicitly, is just the need to focus on the customer and how so many of the answers, so many of the Innovation and growth opportunities, challenger growth opportunities come from that. So it's great to hear how he does that with his team down to the tactical level of the meetings that he puts in place. We talk about a bunch of other things, their success on TikTok, how they think about brand purpose, lots of good stuff in this episode. I know that you are going to enjoy it. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview, my conversation with John Sheldon of Smile Direct Club. Hey, John, how are you doing today?
0: Uh, Nothing's really good. Thank you. How are you doing?
1: I am good. I am really looking forward to this conversation because, as I said before we pressed record, I um, first kind of heard about you and the work that you're doing at Smile Direct Club from an article way back in January, I realized. So it's been a little while. I know it's taken us time to to actually set up the recording, but... um, Based on what you've done on TikTok, there was a a great article that I know we're going to talk about, but actually digging into what you're doing at Smile Direct Club and also your career and background, uh, I think it's really fascinating to have you on the show. You know, it's all about challenger marketing and you both in big incumbents like MasterCard and also in true disruptive businesses like Fresh Direct and Smile Direct Club, like that's a lot of what you've done. So uh, really excited to get into it with you today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. All right. So let's start with a couple of the warm up questions. So, first, would love to hear what's a brand that you are obsessed with or very fascinated by right now in any category?
0: Yeah. Well, when I, when I think about um, uh, brands, I spend a lot of time looking at, uh, I, I, I've spent a lot of time looking at Peloton. And obviously, they, they've had, it's, you know, it's been bumpy for them a lot, a lot recently. But overall, as a brand, I think they've done some really interesting things. And as we've both kind of grown up, we're in the same cohort of startups, if you will. We started roughly the same time. We grew roughly the same time. And they were always kind of like, like our older brother that was about six to nine months ahead of us in, in IPO and a bunch of other things. Um, yeah, I've been watching them really closely um, you know, through, through, their, through their ups and, and, and some of the challenges that they've faced. And I think they've done a great job of building community. And I think they 've done a really good job at building the brands of their of their instructors and and helping those those folks to become um, really meaningful and, and People get really personally connected with those instructors and it 's one of those things when you hear when, when two people with a peloton I have one when two people with a peloton talk you 're like who 's your favorite instructor that, that comes up right away and I think that uh, you know some of the elements that they 've built there are are really interesting i think you know, they they went really fast into some key brand building out areas um you know from from performance marketing and then really started building out some some uh, uh some brand building, right? They showed up in, in the Olympics like four years ago and, and they were so young um at a time to go do that. And and I, I was really um I really admired uh how they how they did that and the and the investments that they've made there.
1: So it's interesting you say Peloton and actually our other podcast, which is like a weekly marketing news show. We recorded it yesterday, and one of the articles that we covered was Peloton outsourcing production and all the hardware now. And the guest that we had on, Robert Rose, I don't know if you know him, he's like, well, to me, this kind of smells like a consulting firm coming in and saying, hey, shed the dead weight, shed the overhead to help get you ready for a sale. But the thing is, we actually, so we haven't talked about this. And obviously, you know, this is the first chat that we've had, but in our business, while we're working with challenger brands, that's kind of how we describe it. Actually, what we're interested in is what makes successful challenger brands. And we're trying to brand those as rival brands. You know, TBD, whether or not that's going to stick. But I think there's something interesting to the idea of actually challenger brand is a statement of intent, not accomplishment. And there's so many of them, particularly now. It's, so, it's such an overused term in the industry, I feel like. And so what is it about certain challenger brands that makes them successful. And Peloton is the example that one of my co-founders uses as an unsuccessful challenger brand. They've obviously done a lot right, and they've built, a, to some degree, very successful business, a very strong brand, very engaged community. There's a lot that has gone well for them. But actually, they haven't, I would argue, haven't truly succeeded in disrupting and becoming the incumbent in a category and if you look at some of the headwinds that they're facing now not just on the hard the hardware and supply chain and like the economics of their business but even on the brand and the percentage of people that are potentially looking to cancel based on surveys they've done and the percentage of people that are actually interested in signing up for more of a product and a subscription like that you know they've done a lot of the challenger things right but somewhere along the line it hasn't Turned into them actually being successful at disrupting the the industry. I would argue.
0: Yeah, one of the things I think to use your phrase, uh, rival brands um, need is an enemy, is is a is a is the person they're challenging, right? Mac versus PC, you know, cl- classic version of that, right? Very very clear thing that you're pushing off of, and and you know, I think what they haven't done is identified and then. Har- like done a really good job of pushing off of, 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 that in, in the, in a rival brand status. And, and, you know, for me, um, I think that's a really, uh, that's a really important part of being a challenger brand is, is that, you know, knowing who are you challenging and why, and actually making it clear to everybody that you're challenging them and, and what you know, and why you think you have the right to do that when we launched our challenger campaign and, 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 we, you know, let me back up a second. So Smile Direct Club, um, you know, introduced a whole new audience and whole new segment of the market to being able to access teeth straightening and orthodontia. And when we launched the business, and and these are the people who can't afford sixty eight thousand dollars to go to their orthodontist, but but are looking to have their teeth straightened and because of the nature of the vertical business model we built, we were able to offer them a very effective doctor directed teeth straightening for for about two thousand dollars, and and so we opened up a brand new market for, um, uh, you know, for, 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 for UT trading. And so, but when we, when we, we're, it, you know, once we've built that, once we got that up and and really, you know, truly effective in, in, in every way uh, to, to, you know, to deliver an excellent experience, what we realized is it's not just for those people who never had access before, but actually 80, 90% of the overall Current orthodontic market would also tremendously benefit from using uh, our product in the in the uh, via the customer experience that we've created, and we realized that about about eighteen months ago, and we were all the way there, and and uh, and so that's when we said, okay, it's time to move from being the the disruptor that came into the you know market and flipped over the tables and 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 did something nobody'd ever done, and and actually become transition from being a disruptor to being a challenger. Now in our world that the brand that we're challenging is the only brand in orthodontia worth talking about, which is Invisalign, besides us. Um, and, we're try- and our job was, hey, let's make this a two-horse race, right? They're, they're a $50 billion company. They've done a you know, great job with their, with their branding. They're, um, you know, they're t- in some ways, the Kleenex of the industry, right? Pe- people call us all the time with our product and say, I'm wearing my Invisaligners right now. And we're like, please don't say that. It kills us, right? So, so, um, you know, so that gives us somebody to push off of. Right, and that's why when we were able to, you know, launch our challenger campaign, for example, in television and some of the digital work that we've done, you know, we made the we made the risky call to actually call them out by name and actually say, hey, listen, this is better than better than those guys, and and for a lot of reasons that we think that that, that we are and our uh, that our model allows, and so um, I think that's you know just to tie it back to your point about uh, Peloton, I think they they haven't pointed at the, other, at the other parts of the market that they've done better than and pushed off of that in a, in a, in a really meaningful way.
1: Yeah. Um, just a quick side note. I've always been fascinated by the orthodonture teeth straightening industry. And bear with me for a second. I had braces. My wife had braces. You know, we all had braces back in the 80s and 90s. It seems insane to me, that the solution for crooked teeth is still to glue pieces of metal to people's mouth and then slowly tighten them over time. So this is neither here nor there, but I just realized cause I hadn't even put it together with this conversation that I actually have a very personal interest in what you're doing and I should look it up. Of, do you guys sell in the UK? Because my oldest daughter is going to be in need of something like this very soon.
0: Uh, we absolutely do. In fact, you know, you know, it's one of those things when we launched in the UK, uh, you know, the, everybody's like, uh, isn't that kind of obvious with all the all the the jokes? But but the sh- short version is, it's been it's been a great it's been a great it's been a great market for us, and 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 so um, uh, l- love uh, you know our our London um, our London locations are are some of the busiest we have in the entire network, and. Um, yeah, you know, for for us. We, but first of all, to be clear, we don't glue anything to your teeth. Even Invisalign does that. They put buttons and attachments on your teeth and things. The the, the system that we utilize for for people who have mild to moderate uh, teeth straightening needs uh, doesn't actually require any uh, anything to be attached to your teeth. And and actually, um, we have two. So for your daughter and a lot of teen parents uh, really like this model. We have a version that's uh, just something that you wear for 10 hours continuously at night. So they can go the teen can go to school. Nothing like just nothing sad, not wearing anything on their teeth, whatever. Come home after dinner, brush your teeth, put these on 10 hours later. And and obviously, because you're not wearing them full time, uh, the the system takes a little longer. But by the way, by a little longer, it's way shorter than braces. Right. You know, an average of, of seven, eight months. Um, you know, you can have your, you can have your teeth straight via clear, clear aligners when, and nobody even knows you were doing it other than the fact that all of a sudden you've got this end result and parents love it because, um, uh, you don't have to, uh, worry about your kid taking them out, not wearing them, losing them, et cetera, because it's just going to sit on their nightstand and just, you know, make sure that they, they put them in after, after dinner. And, and that's the, uh. That's a model that parents seem to really, really gravitate toward.
1: Yeah, well, definitely an industry ripe for disruption. I actually had no idea Invisalign was a $50 billion company, but I guess that makes sense. So um, I'm thinking about where to go from here, because it's very clear, 10 minutes in, we are going to run out of time. So I might. Kind of throw the standard questions out the window because there's a few things I know I want to talk to you about, and I don't think we're going to get to all of it. So, why don't we go back a little bit? Let's talk about you. So, I will have given kind of the CV overview in the intro to the episode, but I guess the question that I want to ask, or the way I want to tee it up, knowing your background and even in your uh, LinkedIn bio, you say you're CMO and innovation leader, scaling disruptive brands. So, you've worked in challengers like Smile Direct Club, like Fresh Direct, like others, but you've also worked in incumbents trying to think and act like challengers, your innovation role at MasterCard. What have you learned over the years in marketing slash innovation roles about how you actually create disruption in the market? I know it's a super broad question, but it's intentional because I kind of want to see where you take it. And then we can kind of double click on that. I'm just curious. Of all the things that drive innovation, what are the most important to you with all the experience that you have doing this type of work?
0: Well, I think the the the, the piece that's the most important, and, and, and I'm going to just abstract this for a second, is know, knowing your customer at a really deep level and what are their core needs and, and so on. And so you know, whether it's Fresh Direct or Small Direct Club or, or all of the things that we were doing at, at MasterCard, um, you know, and I specifically was focused on areas of identity and financial inclusion, which are two really um, important areas for, for, for MasterCard, is to get to know who your customer is at a really deep level. You know, some of the work we did on identity, you know, I was literally interviewing refugees in refugee camps or, or work on financial inclusion. I, I went to uh, a, a town, you know, seventy miles outside of Nairobi, and watched uh, a, a town's full of, of of women bank with a box they bury in the ground for you know every three weeks, and and I just think understanding exactly who your customer is, what are their beliefs, what are their behaviors, and 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 what are the what are the challenges to the way that they're operating today helps you uncover. Um, all kinds of of uh, uh, opportunities to, to innovate, right? So one of the things at, at Smile Direct Club, what we learned is we, you know, we one of the innovations that we we put together is we actually ship customers all of their aligners, their entire treatment right up front, it's in, in the in the blurple box, and so on. But between that and all the tools that we put in there to manage their. Um, uh, their treatment, um, it, it got a little overwhelming for them. And we, and we heard this from them by talking and listening to phone calls and, and all of this. And, it, and, and so what it prompted was uh, us doing an orientation call. Like, hey, you, we know you just got your box. Let, let us take you through it together. It'll take 10 minutes. But by the time you're done, you'll, you'll be much more comfortable and confident. And what we found is the people who would take that orientation call through, they call us less. Um, they complete treatment more frequently. Um, and and generally speaking, they start when we go, go through the orientation call. A lot of people receive their treatment box, some people receive it and, and like set it aside and and just end up like delaying the beginning of their treatment because they're intimidated. And right, so that orientation call helps pull them through and get them and get them the confidence to get going in this in this treatment. And and so it just comes from you know listening to Uh, and watching the behavior of of your customers really, really closely.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And at the end of the day, it's interesting. Conversations like this, just day to day, no matter what you do as a marketer or really in any business, so much of it is actually not focused on the customer. And at the end of the day, all growth ultimately comes from understanding and solving a customer's need in a different way. Of course, there's support things that need to happen in order to enable that type of delivery of value. But that's really it. You know, that's, I don't know if you're familiar with the jobs to be done framework, Clayton Christensen, Bob Mesta, that type of thing. It's the whole like, yeah, the people don't want a six inch drill; they want a six inch hole in the wall. Having, you know, for me, having spent a lot of time in agencies and then working in a product business in the fintech space here in London, it was just such a moment for me because obviously, you know, obviously that is the question and the answer to everything. But oftentimes I find particularly with more incumbent businesses and incumbent agencies, for that matter, that's not always where things start and end. And that's where I think a lot of lost growth actually comes from. So it doesn't surprise me that that would be your answer, given what you've done and the perspective that you have. My follow-up question to it would be taking it down a level, how do you deliver that within Smile Direct Club? How do you keep your teams oriented on it um, you know, you gave that one example, and just real quick, I think the thing that's interesting about that example that I want to expand on briefly is, oftentimes, particularly in like smaller challenger brands, startups, and scale ups that might not have a CMO with the experience that you do, oftentimes marketing is advertising, or it's visual identity, or it's these kind of superficial things. But actually, the example you gave of you heard this from the customer and what you described setting up that orientation call—that's a product change. Marketing delivered product innovation, which I think is a huge opportunity if you're doing it right. I talk a lot about how marketing should be seen as an innovation function within a business, not just a distribution function. Because at the end of the day, marketing is not just about communication. It's the bridge between the product and the customer. So I think that's a really interesting example of how you've done it. But how else are you keeping your teams and your focus, budgets, strategy focused on the customer within Smile Direct Club?
0: So the two most um, uh, impactful hours I have every week and the thing I tell every new team member to, to do and block off to participate because they're open meetings in our, in our business is that we have uh, an hour where we watch videos, obviously with their permission of our customers coming into our, our smile shops. And, you know, and we we edit and, and, and go through clips and review, you know, what, what they're saying and, and, you know, what potential objections are they having all of that and just kind of go through what that, what that journey looks like in great detail. Right, and so that hour, and then we have an hour where we listen to the phones. Right, people scheduling, people with payment issues, people, um, you know, sales calls where we're basically saying, "Okay, your your treatment plan's ready. What's preventing you from going?" And we just li- and you just listen to what the customers are saying. What and and you know, particularly trying to get to like what is their emotional why? What is the reason that person got up, scheduled an appointment, and showed up in the chair? And how can we make sure when it comes to decision moments that they remember that, hey, the reason you told me you're sitting here is because of whatever, you're, you're getting uh, back into the dating game or you're taking control of your health or what have you. And, 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 and just bringing that back into the conversation is, is one element. But also we hear lots of objections, lots of concerns that they have we're like, hey, this payment plan may not be working exactly for this type of customer? How, what can we do about it? And you ask, start challenging yourself and asking those questions. And, and that's how you get better.
1: Yeah, I love that. And actually, my last role as CMO, you know, we were a fintech business, but we were B2B. We sold into big banks. So we didn't do it weekly, but we did it monthly. We called it the dog food meeting. So we all sat down in a room and went online or wherever our brand existed to try to consume it as if we were a customer. And I think that's so important, putting yourself in the customer's shoes, being closer to the customer. Because actually, if you're doing it right, part of the role of marketing is to make an organization more customer-centric. I love that tactic. I'm going to put myself out on a limb here, but I have a feeling the answer is going to be yes to this. Because what you just said, I've seen, You know, I have the benefit of having done, I don't know, 40 of these conversations. And then when I was in the fintech world, I had a fintech CMO podcast. So a lot, talking to a lot of kind of, challenger CMOs and also incumbent CMOs and this thing that you're talking about in different shapes and forms almost everyone who has built a successful disruptive brand does something like this making their teams spend time listening to watching understanding the customer on a regular basis not just on a you know campaign planning or annual planning or product development type of cycle the other thing I see them do and I'm curious I'm curious whether or not you do this is um, if you're familiar with the 70 2010 framework for investment, so 70% goes to tried and true, 20% goes to kind of new and next, and 10% is moonshot ideas. Do you have something like that for how you invest your budget or your team's time where they're not only focused on what you know works, but they're also intentionally and they're kind of forced to do these more 10x riskier ideas? Do you have something like that?
0: I mean, I think we're we're, we're so young. Our business is so young. Um, You know, the whole business is eight eight years from the time that Jordan Katzman, our our founder, sent the email to David, who's now our CEO, saying, hey, do you think anybody would do this, right? You know, we're eight years from that moment. We're only five years in advertising. We learn so much about our business every day, week, month, that completely changes how we want to operate, uh, you know, that business. Um, you know it's probably not 70 20 10 right now for us we're still we're still learning i mean and and so we try and test dozens of things at any given moment right we have got four email tests and five tests on the site and we're and we're and we're trying you know so, something else on the phones and, and 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 you know and versus or in the shops i mean the number of tests that we have in our business um, to try to learn you know, what's optimal in terms of creating the experience the customer is going to get the most out of? Um, you know that's a huge part of of the culture of the business and, and, and so on. I mean, I just want to go back for a second also and just talk a little bit about more. How do you get your team to be the customer? You know, my my expectation of my leaders and for them to to roll down to their teams is, hey, listen, right today for our business, the way people get started is that either order a impression kit where they can do an impression at home or schedule a scan in one of our smile shops. We have about 150 of them globally now. And my expectation is at least on a weekly basis, people are scheduling a scan or, or, you know, once a quarter ordering a kit and doing it right. Go through that experience, share that experience and communicate that to the people who are setting up the kits, who are advertising the kits, who who are you know, building up the CRM that make sure that when you haven't returned it, that you are inspired to do so, like and 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 passing that kind of you know information and ex- personal experience around, right? You get a lot of like, when my wife did the kit, blah blah blah. That stuff's amazing. That that's an incredible input that helps us make our experiences all all, all the better.
1: I love that, and I think um, honestly. Well, I'm going to ask you this question at the end. What's one thing that people should do differently? But to me, I would already say just this much of the convert. Like if if you're not doing this already, you need to be. And if you are doing it, find a way to do it twenty percent more, fifty percent more, because there's so much opportunity and so many of the answers are within this. So um, coming back to the kind of. 70 20, 10. And yeah, it doesn't have to be kind of a fixed framework like that. And actually, in many cases, it's not. But the culture of innovation, the culture of testing. And another way of saying that is kind of the culture of risk-taking, which I think sometimes get a, gets a negative connotation to it, but is so, so important to finding disruptive growth. So why don't we, why don't we drill down into this TikTok you know, case study, I guess. So the article talks about your success on TikTok and how you are consistently one of the top brands on this platform. So my question is, it'd be great to hear a little bit about the strategy, because I think a lot of the people listening, particularly for B2C businesses looking to reach a younger demographic, like I know a lot of your core customers are, that would be interesting. But I think more in general to our conversation about testing, where I want to start is what led you to make such a bet? on TikTok? Because I would imagine if you've been this successful, you either would have had to be there earlier, or you would have had to invested more, focused more than maybe some of your competition. So kind of culturally, strategically, what led you there? And then more specifically, how have you done it in a way that's been this successful?
0: Yeah. So, so we've been on TikTok for three and a half years, since the very early days. And it starts by um, the fact that it's where our customer was. And again, when you listen to your customer, when you talk to to your customer regularly, you, you surveys, you you do the research. You just want to be where they are because that's how you're going to be a part of the conversation. And so we started testing into TikTok, um, you know, really early because that's where that's where a really important segment of our customer was. And and so um, you, we and we had to learn our way into our strategy, right? So the, what, what um, we talked about a lot early on was how do we lean into the creators that are there, right? And so what we found, and we already had an influencer strategy that was really delivering for our business. And so our first step in was to work with influencers and and allow the creators to deliver key messages for us and and do things that were frankly native and interesting to the platform and the reasons why they had built up sizable audiences, and it was really important to us, this is true all, all, all around for us as it relates to spokespeople or influencers, is it had to be really authentic, right? They have to actually go through treatment. They have to be real customers. They have to be talking about their own experiences. So that authenticity had to be baked in, you know, really early. And so, you know, really that, that was kind of the start of it for us. And then, and then two other things kind of happened. One is we're like, okay, how can we take assets that we're creating in other platforms and make them relevant here. And so by way of example, we have a character, Dee Dee, who's our challenger brand voice, if you will. And, and so we found ways for us to create, I'll call it native friendly content for 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 her. Right, and so you know, built out more branded content with kind of all your Byron Sharpie stuff, right? With uh, audio mnemonics, and and you know, again having the character, the colors, all that stuff. And so we built that out, and and we wanted to do that in a way that felt platform consistent, for lack of a better word. And then and then finally, uh, um, we we uh, we also wanted to build up our own. Um, uh, Organic audience on the platform, and so we turned to a team member who was super interested in this. And actually, uh, she's a great story. Her name is Emily, and and the, the Emily story is she started uh, her experience with customer with with uh, with Smile Direct Club um, uh, as a model in our a photo shoot for us. So she had never heard of the brand before, but we had hired her as a model. She did a photo shoot with us. She was like, "Hey, actually, I'd like to straighten my teeth." So she then straightened her teeth with us, became a customer, loved the experience. And actually applied to be a, 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 a someone that worked for the company, a team member, and so and and now we've got her as a face of the brand, um, you know, out in in TikTok, and she is really good. She and her team, and there's a whole set of folks that are kind of paying attention to this stuff, are looking for. You know, what are some of the, the trends? What are some of the, uh, you know, things that we can insert ourselves into or replicate? And a lot of TikTok, as you know, is kind of, you know, this side-by-side replication. You know, what can we jump in on and and make our brand relevant? And she, she does that for us on a regular basis and does a great job.
1: What are some of the other areas that you were investing in, very focused on? So it seems like TikTok as a channel has obviously delivered very good results for you um if you kind of take a step back and look at the macro marketing strategy right now what does that look like for you
0: yeah i mean i think you know as a as a challenger brand and we're still working on making people aware that there's a better way to straighten your teeth right and so you know we use our our awareness channels like Linear TV and of course even more so uh, connected TV or OTT whatever you want to call that um, you know in a in a in a much more targeted way to deliver kind of those awareness oriented messages and, and YouTube plays a role for us there you know also uh, and then and then really what the goal for that is is just get people to the website to educate themselves right and so. You know where where uh, you know Facebook and paid social really sit in that consideration level, right? They've been to the website. We can retarget them, bring them back, take them through a a broader story, um, and 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 look to you know you know get that lead because really the hardest working part of our media um, isn't really paid media at all. It's CRM, right? So once we get that lead, we can take a person through an education journey, and because of the nature of our customer experience today, there's a lot of places for people to kind of get lost in the process, right? Uh, whether it's, you know, insurance, or I don't know if I want to do this now, or, um, you know, whatever, there's lots of places. And so what CRM can do is just pull a person s- slowly through uh, through the education journey to get them to the place where they're ready to say, all right, I'm ready to go now. And so, and, and that's, you know, between CRM and, and, you know, and paid search, which is, you know it does a lot of the 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 cleanup work for for the you know for highly interested people you know that's what that's what brings people in and gets them to to either you know buy that kit or 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 schedule that scan and then again CRM picks it up after that moment again and and pulls them through make sure they show up through the appointment make sure they return that kit and uh and and that's what gets them ultimately into a, a set of prescribed aligners from their doctor
1: you know it's interesting just hearing you talk for 30 minutes now obviously you said it at the beginning being more customer centric but even when you haven't said that explicitly your answers have all been about that you know how did you go onto tiktok well you focused on kind of what i would say creating content that was contextual for the platform understanding what people wanted to see tapping into influencers that were already speaking to the customer crm you know is that like you're talking about how do you actually have a customer centric focus on what the experience is for someone with your business and so it's not like marketing silo. It's not starting from your perspective and working out to the customer. It's starting from the customer perspective and working in. Um, So I just think that's interesting, like how it's coming across. I just wanted to draw a line under it. Um, And I'd love to kind of maybe use that as a springboard to talk about purpose. So it was one of the things I know you and, and your team wanted to talk about in this conversation, the impact of purpose-driven companies by the consumer. And then, you know, while this might not go out for a little while, it's mid-July, we just released our research on how challenger brands are using purpose. And so I'd love to, you know, just tee that up. Like, what is, what is the impact of purpose-driven companies? What does that mean to Smile Direct Club? And how do you think about developing that and executing on that as part of how you're building the brand?
0: Yeah, great. So I got my first taste of really being per- personally involved in very high purpose work uh, when I was at Mastercard, and and one of the things I did when I was uh, you know helping run innovation there was uh, we Mastercard received the first public company grant uh, from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to go co fund uh, uh, the uh, lab for financial inclusion together in Nairobi, Kenya. I mentioned I mentioned that before and. And the job of that was to create, you know, net new products um, that would help get people connected to formal financial uh, systems, which has unbelievable list of benefits once you can get somebody to to do that. And and so you know that's one of those things that once you have that experience, once you know, I, I literally stood in the. In the hills of of, uh, of Kenya, and had a, a you know seventy five year old tea grower with tears in his eyes, talking about how he, you know he finally believes that he can you know pass his business to his kids now because we help them self aggregate how they sell and and the, the profit margins were there where they hadn't been previously you know and all of a sudden I mean you get you get that moment and all of, and and you're like I can't go back I can't go back to to doing something that I don't feel connected to anymore and and that's what I really love. About about Smile Direct Club is uh, you know how many times have we heard you know a smiles a window to your soul the first thing people notice about you is your smile and and you know when people come into our shop and 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 you know again we just kind of un- try to understand why they're there the stories that they bear are are deeply personal right and and you know you know my my child asked me why I never smile in photos or or I always laugh like this so, you know you, you get those stories that are. Um, They're really personal. And you know, if you just look through uh, our before and after page on our website and just say, look at the before picture, look at the after picture, the smile journey that they want on is not the journey. We are part of a much bigger transformation for these people, whether they're taking control of their health or again, going through a divorce or headed off to college or some other major transformation. I mean, they often, they're wearing makeup, they change their hair, you know, whole, whole uh, life transformations um, that they're going through. And we're just a part of that, right? And so knowing that um, we can help them have the confidence that comes from a smile they love and, and, and the stories that we get, um, you know, back in social media or emails to directly to me on a weekly basis are unbelievably moving. My favorite email I send every week is at noon on Mondays. I send an email called inspired by Why, and it is literally nothing but customer stories that they've given to us. Right about how this has transformed them. We we had a TV spot that we ran for a a good amount of time with a woman named Chimani, and and she opened the spot unprovoked by us, unscripted. She said, "Smile Direct Club changed my life." Right? How do you not get out of bed for that? It's so it's 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 what it's what the you know the team members that what I call bleed blurple, which is our our corporate color. The people that that literally you know come in every day and show up for the brand. They feel personally connected to this mission, and and to me that that's that's a That's a that's my favorite part of the job. I mean, how do you how do you not get excited about it?
1: I I thought you said blurple earlier, but I didn't want to call it out because I wasn't sure if you misspoke. Okay, so that's good to know. Blurple is the company color. So as a follow up to that, so actually how you're talking about purpose is how we believe businesses should be talking about purpose and what we found in our research. Customers, yes, a lot of them want kind of you know when you say the term purpose, particularly in the context of a marketing conversation or speaking to marketers. It's ESG, it's environmentally friendly, it's giving back, it's all those things. And be curious if there is anything that you're doing, but what we found in our research and try to guide clients in the work that we do is like, it needs to be not only authentic to who you are, but it needs to be tied to how you make money as a business. That's the only place that you can truly claim what your purpose is, otherwise, and you see these stories of like Unilever mandating top down that every brand, including mayonnaise, needs to have a purpose on how it's saving the world. Yes, that's what customers want, but they want it if it's authentic. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's exactly what you're doing is you're working inside out from your business, what it delivers for the customer, again, being customer centric. Um, Do you do anything around kind of like the environmental, social, um, political, maybe side side of things with your brand purpose as well.
0: So let's just back up. I want, I want to address the other piece, which is, the, for me, brand purpose means that the use the usage of your product delivers disproportionate and out outsized benefit to the customer and and beyond. But first, it has to start with this, that disproportional uh, benefit to the customer, right? Yeah, you know, at at two thousand dollars, you know, the impact that people come back and tell us that it has on their lives are are massively outsized, right? To that, and that's how you can feel purpose again. Same thing when I was talking about you know, financial inclusion. The the benefits of getting connected to formal financial systems are 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 super outsized compared to you know what we ask of 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 the of the consumer, um, you know, in that process, and so. To me, that's that's where brand purpose comes from. Is is you're just delivering disproportionate benefit, um, you know. As we think about our our business, you know, two things. One, we we created a foundation, Smaller Club Foundation, that um, that you know obviously f- focuses on helping people in moments of of transition. I mentioned before that that you know we're often a part of. A person's life transformation When they're moving from one stage to another And, and that's exactly what the foundation focuses on Building programs with uh, key charities That um, help uh, deliver people Uh, programs when they're in this transition, whether it's going from active military service to civilian life or from an abusive uh, uh, household, uh, you know, to, to independence, you know, then there's a number of other programs that we've, we've built out. And and so that foundation really, really focuses on that. Smile Direct Club itself, uh, you know, outside of the foundation also has a huge uh, 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 impact and and we're really um, spending some time now focusing on, diversity in dentistry and making sure that, uh, you know, existing dental deserts—you know, places where you just can't get access to care—that um, we're solving for. That that we're seeing uh, underrepresented uh, groups in in the dental community—you um, know, enter enter dental school, enter you know, dental hygienist school—and so you know, we're sponsoring scholarships in that environment as well. And so all of these are, are areas that um, you know are, are important to our business. And again, our team members get, can can get really excited about because they're having. Uh, an impact on the communities that, that we're, we're operating in. That's amazing.
1: So um, I feel like we got to 20% of what we said we were going to talk about, but I think that's a sign of a good conversation and hopefully the audience agrees. So we are out of time, but John, just to wrap it up, last question for me that I you know, said I would ask earlier is, after listening to this episode, what is one thing that you would recommend people actually do differently in their marketing roles
0: right now? Oof. Um, you know, I, I, I think it ties back to the most recent conversation, which is uh, make sure you understand the purpose behind your brand and make sure your team members and your marketing connect your team and your, and, and your, and your customers to that purpose in an active way um and you know because that's going to help elevate your brand and help you break through right you're not selling a widget you're selling something much more more impactful and important and and the benefit that you're providing is disproportionate i i you know i think there's so many brands that 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 don't take the moment to understand what that that means and but there's a bunch of great brands that have by the way um but but i do think that as a marketer you need to understand what that is for your brand and uh, articulate it clearly and make sure everybody, every every team member knows it and every customer knows it about your business.
1: Yeah. and I think that's an easy thing to um, you know sometimes businesses actually do step back and do a full exercise on that, but I think that's some that's an easy thing to kind of just gloss over almost if you're listening to this, but actually like, no, you know, press pause, put it on your list, actually sit down and gut check for yourself. You know, how do you deliver? How do you stack up against this right now? And a little bit of time invested in that on a regular basis, however you want to do it, however you want to ritualize it is going to go a long way. So John, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. At the very least, you've probably got one new customer out of this in the (laughs) UK over here at our family. Um, but yeah thank you so much for making the time it's great to be connected and really enjoyed it
0: Eric thank you so much for your time
1: take care Scratch is a production of Rival we are a growth consultancy that builds challenger brands strategies and capabilities to disrupt categories if you want to learn more about us check out wearerival.com if you want to connect with me, email me at eric at or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.